Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, and me, Greg the Single Guy. We are recording episodes from around the globe to tell you about the best kept secret in education. That's right, it's teaching overseas. We're glad to have you join us. Hey, welcome to the International Teacher Podcast. I'm Kent the Cat Guy, and with me today is Greg the Single Guy. We're still missing Matt the Family Guy, but we've got a special guest today. His name is Jeff, and he's coming from the American School in Japan. Help me, Greg the Single Guy, give a warm welcome to our special guest, Jeff. Woo! Welcome, Jeff. Hey, 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 all right. Welcome, Thank Jeff. You. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about your education journey, starting when you became a new teacher till you decided to move overseas. Sure. Um, so I was uh, born and raised in Philadelphia and uh, spent many years there and uh, went to uh, university there, got my teaching uh, credential in music education with uh, jazz piano concentration. And uh, right out of college, I started uh, teaching at a Quaker school uh, in Philadelphia. And uh, I taught middle school and high school music, general music, jazz band, uh, did some advising work, did some baseball coaching in, in the middle school, uh, lots of different things. And I, I was there eight years. And um, I decided after those eight years, um, I, you know, I'd been teaching there. I did my master's part-time, uh, also same place I did my undergrad. And then um, I decided to leave that job and go and do a PhD in music education. Became a teaching assistant. And that was back in 2019. And I got about a semester and a half in before uh, COVID hit and uh, then spent the next two years basically online doing the degree. And uh, I'm still not done, but I'm, I'm close enough uh, to have then looked for another teaching job, K-12. And that's what brought me into the international circuit, which is where I am now. So, Jeff, when you first went overseas. Can you dial back a little bit and tell us how you found the job? I know we communicated about a year and a half ago on ITP mm -hmm. and you had been listening to us in our early days. Tell us a little bit about how you found your job that you have now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it, it happened in, in many different ways because I, I knew that I wanted to do something different. And my wife and I had always talked about living somewhere other than Philadelphia and other than the, the United States. And so I had heard about international teaching. I honestly don't remember the first time. It wasn't this podcast. I'm sorry to say it was before this podcast, but I'd heard about it. Someone mentioned it to me and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I get to teach in, in a school in another country in English and do and live abroad. And, wow. All right. And so I started doing research and just asking people questions and setting up Zoom calls because we were in the middle of a pandemic and uh, talking to lots of people. And, and I, people kept telling me what you need to do. And they said, you need to do this, the agencies, you know, Search Associates, ISS, Schroll, all of that. And um, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to look at TIE, TIE online and, you know, TES and all these things. And I was like, oh, OK. And I started taking notes. Uh, and figuring it all out. And then I came across a podcast that was very informative. It was this one. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. I was about to ask which one you were listening podcast. to. <laughs> yeah, no, it was another podcast. No. no, it was this one. And I would listen to it religiously as I was in the car, 
driving somewhere or, or whatever and, and trying to just like picture myself abroad. And, um, and so anyway, after I had figured all that out, I signed up for the agencies and I, um, you know, it was really a two year process because I was in this PhD. I was hoping to finish before we moved and that didn't happen because we wanted to move and I wasn't going to be done in time. So we just applied. Um, and so, like I said, I was registered for all those agencies, um, set up my search associates profile, which took a lot of work, to be honest. Um, ISS, less work, troll, even less work. Um, <laughs> and, and I also signed up for Carney Sandow. I don't know um, how many folks use that, but that was more for in, independent schools in the United States, but then also a little bit abroad. And um, so I just sort of put my name out there everywhere. and. I would get job postings that would pop up on the, the dashboard on search associates or ISS or whatever. And I would apply basically. And, you know, music jobs, there aren't a ton. So Jeff, tell us a little bit of how your wife fits into the puzzle of finding a job, uh, whether she's a teacher or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, she's not a teacher, but she works in schools and she, her career has been in fundraising, annual giving advancement work. Um, and so she was looking as well for jobs, except those jobs are, uh, even less, um, there aren't many of them out there compared to music teaching jobs. Some schools have them, uh, but in order for us to find two jobs that, that matched what we wanted was, was challenging. Um, so currently she is not, uh, working, uh, here in Japan. How old are your kids, Jeff? Uh, 21 months and four years old. Yeah. So they're young. When you're back in the States and you decide to apply internationally, what, co- what was that conversation like with your wife when you uh, broached the subject of going overseas? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think we've been on the same page from the, the very beginning and with our kids, especially like it was, you know, if we weren't on the same page, we wouldn't be here right now because you know, especially them being so young, it had to be the right decision for all of us. You know, I, I've spent, I spent a lot of time in um, Cuba over the years. And my wife lived abroad in Spain for about six months back in college. We've done some other traveling. And so, uh, you know, we've always wanted to see the world and experience it. And so it was a no brainer when we could take our kids and do that very thing and give them those new experiences. So where did you end up going for your uh, job fair. Did you go to Search Associates? Um, so I didn't. I didn't end up going to any job fairs, uh, mostly uh-huh. because of COVID. And I, I actually, I should take that back. I did attend one through ISS that was a virtual fair, which is not the same as going in in person, of course. But that was the best I could do. And so that didn't really. Nothing really came of that. There was. I think I interviewed with one school, but it just didn't didn't pan out but yeah no it was just search associates uh on when i would log into the website i would see the jobs that were posted and if it looked like a good fit i would uh fill out the application and and apply all right go for it ken i know you have a question on your mind he's got this questioning look on his face so how did you hook up with your current school if you didn't meet them at a fair did you reach out to them? How did you hook up with the IS, uh, ASIJ? One day on Search Associates, it, it was the new job of the day. It was just posted. It was a middle school and high school band teacher. 
at the American School in Japan in Tokyo, and and I, I will be honest that that um, Asia wasn't on our radar at the time, mostly because of the distance, because it's a twelve plus hour flight from Philadelphia. It's not a direct flight. We have to fly through through New York, and uh, we were thinking more really anywhere that was just closer, you know, Europe, other other places that fit that bill, but certainly um, Japan wasn't there. But then when we looked at the job and looked at the posting and looked at uh, the school and Japan in general and all these things, um, it was just like, all right, let me apply. Let me let me try this because I, you never know. And, and then I ended up uh, hearing back and interviewing and the interviewing process was was a, a quite the ride as well. And I can talk a little bit about that, but. Can I just jump in here then and say, it's adorable that you say that you had to really think about being so far away that it was a 10 to 12 hour flight. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome to international teaching. I just got off my, 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 I can't even talk anymore. My brother and my father came for Christmas and from, from Miami, it was a 14 hour flight to Dubai. And then I put him in another plane for another four and a half hours to Maldives. So it's so adorable that we have a new international teacher with us. I know you've been to Cuba and a little bit of Spain, but welcome to the land of 12 hour, 14 hour flights, right? Kent, we do it all the time. I think I have the winner. I have the Dubai Seattle flight and I think I have the winner because that's between 15 and 16. Hours. Yeah, that. 16 hours with Kent on a plane. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> laughing the whole time? <laughs> I, you know, what I will say, though, once we did the flight, and we haven't done it back yet, of course, but coming here, my younger son slept for 10 of the 12 hours. And that was the biggest <sighs> concern. It was like, how will the kids be? Like, I, I don't mind the 12-hour flight, my wife, you know, but of them and and they were actually they were really fantastic what was it that put the kid out for that long uh that's we, a long time to be out yeah we flew at night that was it, it oh was, there you it go. was uh just the bedtime i think we left yep. at 7 p.m from new york and i think i think something like that so it was like it just worked out so you well, are actually and that's not easy to even set up interviews because you are ahead of us right now by four hours so you have quite a bit of difference in time right What's yeah. that, Kent? What were you doing? Six hours. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah you're six, six hours. hours on us. You're, you're six hours ahead of us, mm-hmm. and we're hours. And how far are you ahead of your family, for example, in the states? So, so what is it? It's almost nine p.m. here. So it's um, seven a.m. Is that right? Seven a.m. yesterday. Wow. So it's, so it's um, <laughs> yeah, we're ahead about about fourteen hours right now. Yeah. So when I was interviewing for the job, uh, my interviews were in the evening in Philadelphia because that was that was daytime here in Japan. So I remember interviewing. My first interview was at I think ten thirty p.m. You know, Eastern Standard Time, and my whole family was asleep, and I'm at the kitchen table in my suit waiting for the interview to start. And then my second round interview, we were it was over Thanksgiving break. And we had gone to upstate New York in the mountains at a, a, a little place for a couple of days. And it was 1030 at night. And I was using the manager's office that I had convinced them to let me use because our room was small. And I'm interviewing in this space and there's windows everywhere. And like people are out in this hotel. And, and that was funny. 
um, you know. So yeah, I I, I remember uh, the time differences because I also interviewed uh, over online instead of in person. Mm-hmm. And I remember it being like three thirty in the morning, and I've got my dress shirt here and my pajamas on down below. I'm glad I didn't have to stand up and and stretch during the interview. Yep. <laughs> you even put on nice shoes for that, I bet, huh? I think I did actually. <laughs> you mentioned that the fairs were disrupted because of COVID. Yeah. What about entry into Japan? Was that mm. disrupted at all? We were lucky because uh, by the time we traveled, all we had to do was show a negative COVID test. Um, and then we were able to come into the country with no quarantine or anything, um, or test because I think it was only like two months or something before we had traveled here in July, you had to show the negative COVID test and you had to take another COVID test when you arrived in Japan and then also quarantine either way, I think. And so every few months they, they relaxed those. By the time we got here, it was just take your COVID test before you leave and long as it was negative get on the plane and you were good to go so that wasn't too bad but covid here is very different than in the states um, because we're still wearing masks and there are a lot of things that are still in place that are not that way in the states it's a great opportunity to talk to you because this is your first overseas assignment so you signed on the dotted line with your school in japan you resigned from your job in the states what was communication and contact like with your school? What was it like working with your school to make that transition? Yeah. Um, well, it was a long process because I signed the contract in December and we didn't fly to Japan until the end of July. And so it was it was a lot of back and forth with the school and they were fantastic with the transition. Uh, just everything from paperwork to um helping with housing and uh, all that sort of stuff was just really really well well done but it took time and um you know it was just it was a lot of back and forth and a lot of videos of houses and pictures and stuff and saying oh this is good this isn't good let's see what what works you know um i will say i think the hardest part was the end well two things right anticipating getting there because that's a long time to like think about what you're going to do you know like six months is a long time to to just like imagine what your house is going to be like what the school is going to be like all that stuff and so it was it was um that was a struggle and um and then getting things ready to move you know because we we had a house we had two cars um accumulated lots of things and um you know we sold our house we sold the cars we um sold a lot of stuff or packed it up and put it in various basements and (laughs) our parents houses and things like that um and then shipped a bunch of stuff uh which was stressful because like what do you need what don't you need and it, it it was just uh it was just a lot of of uh steps you know big spreadsheets of all the things we had to do and it was just it was a lot of lead up but it was all worth it in the end it just took a long time how long did it take when you hit the ground in japan for your stuff to show up we were lucky because um we decided to do an air shipment as opposed to a sea shipment and that meant 
because of the price that we took half as much stuff as if if we were shipping by sea. But it just made the most sense because we wanted certain things more quickly and weren't bringing furniture because houses here are very different and smaller. And so we just were going to buy everything here. So I guess we everything left like July 10th, maybe. We flew out on the 26th, I think. These dates might be a little off. But then Mm -hmm. we got our stuff maybe the third week in August. So it was okay. it was pretty quick, honestly. Um, so that was nice. Just a couple weeks without the things we needed. And, and honestly, most of our shipment beyond like kitchen stuff and clothing was kids toys and uh, clothing and things like that for the, the kids. So uh, that was nice to have when that showed up. What did any of your appliances, anything you plug into the wall, were, were you able to take them and use them in, in, in Japan? No. I mean, we could have brought some things, used converters and and all that. Some of it might have even worked, but we just opted to buy all new stuff. The only thing we bought with us, brought with us via the shipment was a TV because we were told that they were more expensive if we brought bought them here uh, and it would have been in Japanese. So we did that and that was worth it. But everything else we just sort of bought here. First, let's talk a little bit about Japan. I have this sure. beautiful, romantic vision of of landing in Tokyo, which is where you're at, right? Uh-huh. Tokyo? Yep. Okay. And landing in Tokyo and not knowing anything about it, but everything is small. <laughs> like like your apartment is small in a closet and your your everything, your bowl of your bowl of rice is small. Everything is small and it's all mm-hmm. fit on one island. That's what I think of when I think of Japan. I that and you know other things like Godzilla and stuff. I have never been to Japan. Yeah. Right? I know uh, Kent is groaning because I mentioned Godzilla, but I'm so I'm so outdated with with Japan. I have no idea. Right. Tell me a little bit about Japan. I'm anxious to hear. Yeah. Well, the things that you mentioned are true in certain ways. Although the Godzilla one, maybe not as much. You don't see. I mean, I've I've seen seen him on the top of a building, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, other than that, I haven't seen him much. You know, I think before we moved here, I thought everything was smaller too. And that is true. Like you go to the grocery store and, you know, being used to the big giant packages in the States, um, everything here is certainly just smaller. A pack of salad, for example, I, I, like the pre-packed washed salad is like a third of the size it would be in the States or something like that. Like that's sort of in comparison. Um, and if you're downtown, in the main part of of Tokyo, it's certainly small, and the apartments are small, and there's so many people and so much stuff. Uh, so it's a space yeah. an issue, right? Space, space is, is what I'm thinking yes. about. Yes. And joking aside, mm-hmm. I mean, like everything that I can think of is that there is a lack of space, so everything mm-hmm. it fits sort of together until you get outside of the main cities. The main right. cities are packed like any other big city, but right. just more, right? Yes. Am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, 100% right. And and I will say that we're in the suburbs, quote unquote suburbs. Um the school is, is in a a little more of a suburban area and where we live is also a little more suburban. We're about a 30-minute train ride from um uh Shinjuku station, which is which is downtown. Um and so all the big skyscrapers and you know all all of that 
uh, stuff is is a little ways away, just a train ride away, but certainly uh, a very different situation than where we are because um, we wouldn't have a house downtown. We wouldn't have this much space. Um, we, we, you know, we wouldn't be able to walk on the street uh, in the same way we would. So anyway, like it, it depends where you are, even within Tokyo, which is which is pretty big. And I know this is very school specific, but uh, while we're talking about your school and your first time out, it, when you arrived at school, did they have a stipend for you for housing or did they have specific housing? How did the housing options work for you? Housing, we, we do have a housing stipend and um, and we get to pick how we use it. The school has options. They would bring us options and we could decide on what we liked and where we wanted to live within uh, the area of the school. And, and they would do all the, all the paperwork and all that sort of stuff. And as long as it fit within our, our budget, you know, we could, we could make it happen. And they had a couple of people that would drive you around and show you different uh, places to live in your first couple, like first week or so that you were there, they'd have show you some options, right? So my understanding is pre COVID that's what they did. Uh, they'd have you in a hotel and then drive you around until you found a place. But with COVID, uh, they did it all remotely. And so I got, oh, yeah. um, or we got emails uh, with, with videos and pictures and descriptions and cost and all that from the school. And my wife and I would look at them and decide if we wanted it and then email back and say we'd like it or just pass on it and wait for the next one. And, um, and that's where we found our our current place. But when we got here... We had to, we were in a hotel for a couple of days because we couldn't quite move in to the house, and we needed to have like a fridge and some furniture because most places here in Japan, when you rent them, don't come with any appliances or light fixtures, even or blinds um, or even air conditioners. Sometimes we were lucky that some of those things already came with our house, but we uh, we couldn't move in for a few days, so. Well, that's what makes all that moving in fun, and especially as you're trying to get used to a new culture, a new language, being up at different hours of the day, communicating differently, your school's about to start, everything. You're still trying to find a job. You're staying out of a hotel with your kids. I, I can, I've, I've been there, and I've done that kind of thing. Every school is very different, but your school, the American School in Japan, is very well established. It's been there for a long time. It's probably, is it about 2,000 students, or is it a little bit less? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's, it's less than 2,000. Yeah, okay. maybe, it's just maybe. a detail I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's well established, so they have an intake of when new teachers come in. They have it really well established. From what I understand, what you're talking about, they have a, a great intake for the new teachers to make you feel welcome when you first arrive. Not every school is like that. I'm yeah. glad to hear that ASJ ASIJ does that for you because most of the the upper crust schools, the upper crust meaning the 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 higher end schools that, that we like to, to talk about and mm -hmm. we all want to get into, those are the schools that take care of their employees as they arrive and have different options. Either mm -hmm. it's a stipend or they put you in a hotel or they put you right into a housing um, that they've already planned out for you. It's many different, there's many different options and many different uh, permutations of arrivals. And that's, it's exciting to hear that, but a, I know your school is very well established and I'm, I'm happy that you landed your first job at such a well-established and great package type of school, right? 
Kent, anything about, have you heard of AISJ, ASJ, ASIJ? <laughs> have you heard of it before, Kent? I have. I yeah. think they're over 100 years old. Yep. And I know some of the famous graduates. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Whoa, really? Oh, I mean, not personally. I mean, oh I just God, know some Kent of the names really, that, that have come from. But I, I did have a question, though. I, yeah. I looked at the website earlier, and there was a picture of Jim Harbaugh on the website. I don't know if you know this. And so I had to look it up, or at least someone who looks like him. I don't think he ever went to the American school in Japan. I don't know why they have him. Hey, do you have... Do you have sports? Is there uh, like an American sports program at your school? Yes, we do. We have a football team, wrestling, baseball, basketball. Uh, yeah, we've got we've got it all. I can understand uh, basketball. I can understand baseball. Big sports that uh, have existed in Japan. What about American style football? Is that popular? Uh, yes. Yeah. Sorry. When I when I said football, I, I did in fact mean American football. They also have Soccer, but yeah, American football, popular. Um, I'm trying to think of the schools that we play, and I think a few of them are the uh, the base schools, the the military base schools, uh, and then some of the other international schools in Tokyo, I believe have. But I'm not 100 percent sure about that. But but yeah, we do have a football program. And so you are are you the band director? So I'm one of three uh, band directors. And do you take a certain grade level? How do you guys divide that duty as directors? Yeah, so we have a sixth grade band, a seventh grade band, an eighth grade band, and then uh, two bands in the high school, a concert band and a wind ensemble, and then a high school jazz band. Um, and then we also have an orchestra program, six through 12, and also a choral program, six through 12. Um, so actually in total, five music teachers altogether teaching all of those those things plus some electives and which ones of those programs do you work with yeah so right now i um i co-teach uh sixth grade with the two other band teachers because that's beginning band so we have i think we have 81 students this year uh all starting out so it's it's a lot <laughs> a lot, lot of uh hands-on work to get them going on their instruments uh and then i co-teach seventh grade band and eighth grade band as well uh, and then I direct the high school jazz band by myself, and then I teach a guitar elective in the high school to students who have never taken guitar or have a, a little bit of guitar experience. We'll take a moment's break now to remind you how to reach out to us. Of course, you can address any negative comments to Kent, the cat guy. We do love to hear from you. If you're out on Facebook, we don't do that, but our handle on both Instagram and Twitter are at ITPexpats with an S, I-T-P-E-X-P-A-T-S as a handle. If you want to, you can send us an old email at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com, or you can visit us at our new website at www.itpexpat.com www.itpexpat.com. Well, back to the show. You know that Kent and I are both musicians at heart and, and yes. out in public too. And Kent uh, is a is a flautist, I believe you call and it. And a former a trombonist. Very and cool. And I played trombone. trombone in my high school jazz band. Awesome. Right. And I played, you know, and I'm leading up to something here, though, Jeff. But I did play yeah. also in high school 
and a little bit in college. Yeah. And the cool thing was, and Kent knows this, that of all the things in the world, there's a couple things is one is across the quad from me in my apartments, the single apartments lived a guy that actually fixed clarinets. I don't know why he was a trombone player and he played in a jazz band locally here at our, near our school. And he fixed clarinets for some reason. I think he just needed something to do. And he was like really good with his hands. So he would order clarinet parts and he had like 30 or 40 clarinets. And I actually bought a nice clarinet from him. I've got a, I've got one of the silver Kings from 1925 that he refurbished for me. Fantastic. But leading up to, we had the best jazz band in the middle East just before COVID, and I was in a band, and I had not played my saxophone for 30 years. 30 years, Jeff, and I had not played it. Kent, did we sound good? Did I sound okay? You, you sounded great. Thank, I was on the band, much. but the band, and it was a hit because if you had heard this on a previous episode, you would know that they played in one of the very first outdoor, uh, legal outdoor concerts in our region. <gasps> did we talk about it already on this podcast? We did. Oh. Oh my gosh. Well, we need to get Jeff, uh, we need to get you in touch with Chris Colma. He was on episode 42 and yep. he's got international teachers. I don't know if you guys have connected or we will get you connected. And okay. we also talked about Japan back in uh, ITP number 14, episode 14, about a year ago. We talked with another guy about Japan, but that was different. So we've got now we've got you because now we've got you with Japan and music. And we can talk about all this good stuff. I'm excited about you going overseas with your kids and landing in Tokyo and being at this massive school. And you you haven't even finished your first year yet, right? You're well, still in the middle. You're, you're back to school now, and we're back in the swing of things. I'm excited for you. Thank first you. First year teaching at overseas, right? Not first yeah. year teacher. No way. And yeah. you've almost got a doctorate. We're going to be calling you Dr. Jeff pretty soon. So, right. Tell uh, us a little bit about school and adjusting to overseas. Come on, let's get into yeah. a little bit of adjustment here for your first year teaching. I think it was uh, it was challenging when I got here to get used to the school because I had been in a school my my previous K twelve school that I taught at. I was there eight years, and so I knew everybody. I knew all the processes. I knew all the kids. Really, I had taught them all basically. So every year, a new group would come in. I learned them, learn about them and their names, but like. I taught everyone else. So I, I really did know the community. And so coming into to ASIJ, while everyone was very welcoming, uh, it was a really steep learning curve, figuring out <laughs> figuring out names, to be perfectly honest. Student names, yeah, that's always something, but faculty and staff and recognizing people with masks and no masks and just remembering all of that. And then who do you talk to for what? And finding the, the bathroom, where the bat, where the bathrooms are, where's the, where's this part of the building? How yeah. do you, and then you can't even figure out how to dial out, right? <laughs> the little things like, how do I dial out on my cell phone or on a regular phone? I mean, these are the, I, all these things hit at the same time, right? Yeah. I don't even know how to use the phone in my office. I just leave it there. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think someone called me on it once. I. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I will say one of the things that threw me for a loop was I was so used to locking my door at my old school and my, like my laptop, like putting that in the drawer and locking it up and all that. And we don't do that in Japan because Japan is very safe and people are trustworthy. And so, um, that took a little getting used to like being able to leave my stuff somewhere and coming back and it was there and trusting that the kids 
overall would would respect that as well and that was that that was tough tough too to get used to. Is it okay? Let's talk a little bit about the kids then. Uh, I had another interview that I had, I was on another uh, mm-hmm. podcast and they asked me this question. Mm-hmm. They said, and I'm going to direct it to you. They asked me, Are the kids any different? Uh, no. I mean, kids are kids, honestly. I agree. You know, like they may, uh, I, I think the difference is they're, their backgrounds are different, right? And so I have kids with American passports and Japanese passports and EU passports and, you know, insert passport, right? It's that sort of background. That's very diverse, right? And that, um, that is a difference, but, but in terms of like kids and how you interact with them and how you teach them and, and all that, they're, they're pretty, pretty similar, you know, which which is really cool. I agree. That's, that was my answer, right? Yeah. And and I'll let Kent Kent needs to chime in on this also because he's been to Yemen and he's here in the mm-hmm. Middle East now again. But for me, around the world, kids are kids. Yeah. They 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 have the same worries, especially if you're talking elementary. They have the same worries about who their friend is and who's mm-hmm. standing in line with them and who's not talking to them. Right. If they're in middle school, they're going through all the crises of a middle schooler. And if they're yeah. in high school, of course, their identities are just fragile and they're learning about life. And they're going way off and school may not be, you know, as important as it is for other things in their life. But mm-hmm. I tell you what, I agree with you. And my answer is the same. Kids are the same. The only thing that I found different is that overseas teaching, I have found the respect from the students and the respect from the parents is vastly different than what I understand is like in the States. I didn't teach in the States. I did all my preparatory, but I have a lot of friends there teaching in different States. And I just... I love, I relish the, the kind of respect is a big word for me, right? Kent, what do you think? Are kids the same? I've bored 16 different passports with my math lessons on a daily basis. They're all the same, the same level of boredom, the same look in their eyes after 10 (laughs) minutes of the lesson. (laughs) Now, (laughs) what is the balance of passport holders at ASIJ uh, between expats and uh, students who are born and raised in Japan. Um, you know th- that's a good question. I think um, it's it's a mix. I I think there are a lot of students that 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 come from from a, a Japanese background, Japanese family. But but it's hard to quantify. I'm sure there are numbers on the website that give sort of a better background than I could. Because um, uh, because you know. I don't even know half half the time with some folks. Like I, I just I teach who's in front of me, and I know their their back background a bit and what they've told me, but I, I don't know necessarily who's who. Kent, you remember your first time overseas, Kent? Your first year, you're trying to figure things out. Absolutely, you had a new school, and I don't I don't blame Jeff. It's like you're just pointing at kids, going you and you. And you, <laughs> and you're trying to figure out who they are and much less where they're from, right, Kent? Yeah. You have to remember that. Jeff is in his first year overseas, and the, that passport question, the idea of getting close to the kids, especially as a specialist, is difficult, right, Jeff? Yeah. Who are these kids? As a specialist, your kids are coming through your classroom. I would imagine quite a few. Yeah. You know, I will say, though, I, I mean, I do have a lot of kids that come through with band, but I am lucky based on our schedule that um, we get the kids the same as 
same amount of time as their history class or their math class. I see them every other day for an hour and 10, 15 minutes, uh, which is pretty magical. Uh, it has taken some time. I mean, I think at this point in the year, I certainly know know the kids pretty well, but sometimes they surprise me when I'm talking to them and I realize they're, they lived in three different countries or they're actually originally from a place I never thought they would be from. Just, you know, it always amazes me. It's always a new insight and new um new piece of information which is really cool welcome to international teaching jeff can't deny i love that part of it i know matt does too you look out at your students and you just see a it's a painting and they're all from different world countries it is fantastic do you work long hours do you work a little bit extra do you take on activities is that part of the culture of the school every teacher is is um uh, asked to do an activity or sport, you know, something like that. And it's finding the, you know, a good, a good fit for that particular teacher. Right. And so, you know, for example, I, I coached uh, sixth grade baseball at my last school for eight years. And so I'll be doing middle school baseball uh, in the spring, coaching that um, also doing some work with a jazz club in the high school, which is mostly student led, but I, I help out a little bit with that. And so that's a piece of the puzzle. And then, you know, in terms of the work-life balance, you know, I'm, I'm usually in by about 7.30. School starts at 8. School ends at 3. Uh, some days I leave at 3.15 or 3.30 because I need to pick my kids up or I just am leaving because I've given all I could give that day. Uh, and some days I'll stay later. You know, some days I'll stay till 4 or 4.30 um, and sometimes take work home with me. I won't lie about that. Like we're in report card mode right now, end of semester one. And I've certainly been been working uh, at home to get that that work done. And it's it's like anything else. Sometimes there's lots of grading and lots to do and other times there's not. So but I, I think the school encourages a work life balance. They don't want people there at six thirty in the morning and leaving at six, you know, unless they're doing a sport or something. But they they certainly encourage you to give your all when you're there, but then when you're not at work to not be working, not sending emails at 10 o'clock at night or um, doing work-related things on the weekends unless they're um, completely necessary, which I appreciate because not every school's like that. You guys are on the American schedule. You you start up in September, you end in August, uh, June because the Japanese schools, they start in uh, April and end in March or something like that. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we're we're on the American schedule. We start late August. And early June, uh, have a this year it was two and a half week long winter break, week long spring break, a couple smaller breaks throughout the year, and then and then the summer. Uh, it's about eight weeks or maybe even ten weeks. Did you get a chance to travel over the holiday and Happy New Year? By the way, did you get a yeah. chance to travel over Christmas and tell us a little bit about what you did then? Yeah, ha- Happy New Year to you both. Uh, happy New Year. Yeah, we um, we did do a little bit of traveling. We um, we stayed in Japan uh, over the winter holiday, uh, mostly because when we decided to travel, it was back in, I think we might have even booked it in September, and we, we couldn't fathom leaving the country and coming back because if we had gotten COVID, it just it seemed too complicated. So uh, we stayed and we, we flew down to an island south of Okinawa called Ishigaki, which was beautiful. And uh, we stayed for about a week and just got got to relax a bit. The weather was 
a little rainy the first couple of days, but then it, it got in, into some good, good weather to walk around the beach and go to the pool and, and that sort of thing and, and experience life on an island, uh, a small island in Japan. And, and then we came back and spent some time here in Tokyo and did Christmas here and New Year's and explored the city a bit because there's so much here to see. And, um, and you oh. wouldn't think you'd have that kind of a conversation, right? That kind of an answer when someone said, what'd you do for Christmas? <laughs> like last Christmas, you're probably like, well, we went to see the in-laws. We had, they wanted to see grandpa and grandma. And then we had to go over here and we came right back and mm-hmm. it was, well, you know, snow in, but it's exciting that you've changed your whole chapter. Now, this is a whole different kind mm-hmm. of discussion, what you did or where you travel to. And what I love about your response is that some teachers just get to pack up and they go back home. I'm, I'm not talking about COVID time and post COVID, but yeah. generally when people go overseas, a lot of them just pick up and go the first thing they can, they go back home and check in or they go for home right away. And mm-hmm. there's reasons for that. But what I like about your answer is there's so much to see within your host country. And I spend, I'm very much similar to that. I try to in most countries, I try to go concentrically around where I'm living and hit the the country I'm in as a host country, hit the countries around it. And maybe after that, I might have a special purpose and go somewhere else. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll add to that too. I think that one of the things that my wife and I talk about a lot is we're here, we're, we're doing this international teaching adventure. And so we want to make the most of it, you know, and we want to balance that with also just being at home, right? Because we still are here in this house and want to give our kids that experience of just being in our house as well and exploring our neighborhood and things like that. So finding that balance and and also, you know, using the, the ability to travel here, but also like honestly getting on the train and going 30 minutes downtown and spending six hours downtown I think is just as stressful sometimes as going to the airport and getting on a plane. We don't know the language and the train is packed and sometimes, and uh, it can be a, an adventure in itself. But what is it that you wake up in the morning that still amazes you that you're still, you kind of wake up and you realize this is my life. And what, what is it that you think, man, this is awesome. You know, I, I love teaching, right. And, and that might sound cliche because we're on a, podcast about teaching, but I love, I love teaching. And so I really do look forward to the days when I go into work and get to work with the amazing kids. And, you know, I teach beginners all the way up to the jazz band, for example, is the the top level kids who have been playing for years and um, seeing that growth and that work that the kids are doing and that they're capable of really, really makes me go every day and really makes me excited. So that would be my, my work answer if you will, or the teaching part of me. But, you know, being here in Japan, what excites me is the the things I notice that are new. And so I usually take the same route to, to work every day, but sometimes I'll go a different way or I'll walk by something 30 times and then realize it was, it was something different or I just like notice a new detail. And so that is also exciting. And then my kids come home every day and they're in a, a preschool where they're in an English speaking preschool uh, with kids that are Japanese though as well. And so hearing about their day and what they did always really makes, makes me happy because they're learning and, and experiencing and noticing new things. And every now and then they'll say something in Japanese 
And it just makes me so happy because they're getting that, that cultural experience, that, that adventure, that, um, that learning that they would have gotten in the States in a different way. But this here is just opening their eyes to so many new things. So that those are the things that excite me and, you know, keep me so happy about this adventure every, every day. I have two follow-up questions. I'm just aching to ask you the second one. But the first one is, Do you have you learned any Japanese? Uh, can you share a few words with us? I can, although I will say I think my Japanese level is this. Actually, I think my kids are more advanced than me. Um, <laughs> but I will share a couple <laughs> words. Um, so I've got konnichiwa, just hello. Uh, I've got ohayo gozaimasu, which is good morning. Uh, konbanwa which is, I think, good evening. What else? Arigato gozaimasu, which is thank you. Onegashimasu is please. And um, my current favorite, because I'm trying to learn bit by bit here, is Rejibukuru, which is a plastic bag or shopping bag. Oh, that's fantastic. Can I try that? Rejibukuru? I think is you that say what it, it better sort of than sounds I do. Like? Yeah, yeah. No way. No way. You, you, you said it. I'm just... Yeah, I'm just having yeah. fun here. But I That's will, awesome. It's cool. And I will say, though, I i don't know much more because we teach in English and nobody really speaks Japanese at school very often. Um, but my wife has been taking some Japanese lessons. And so she's progressing each week and doing a fantastic job. And she'll mention things to me. And then I pick up some things. So now I can count to 10 because of her and um, and those sorts of things. And and um so yeah, those are some words. And it's fun because while our kids at school, sorry, the students speak in English, many of them speak Japanese or know some Japanese. And so every now and then when I th- will throw a Japanese word out, they're like, oh, that was good. That was impressive. That's exactly the answer I was hoping for. Because if you're reaching out and learning a little bit of the host language, I have everyone I have ever talked to and my own experiences included their experience overseas is exponentially better if they're grasping at least a little bit of the language and going with that. So for you to go reach out and hopefully the school will give you opportunities to learn Japanese or you'll learn it through your community at different people. I don't know what it's like where you live in what in that part of Tokyo in the suburb, but when you leave school, are you immersed in Japanese then? Yeah, that is one of the things that is the most challenging here. Many people don't speak English, or if they do, they don't choose to. And and that's really difficult, you know, because every, you know, there are English words on things, um, but but most things are in Japanese, and most people will just speak to you in Japanese. And um, that is uh, something that, that you're immersed in the second you leave school, and the second I walk out my front door, and you know, certain people will speak English every now and then. I'm surprised. Like we went in a store the other day and we started, my wife and I were looking at something and, and we said something in Japanese and then something in English to each other. And then the person at the store just started speaking to us in English, like fluently. And it was like, Oh, okay. We can, yeah, we it's can a take breather, a right? It is. It is. Cause you're always yeah. on. When you're trying to use and that's the Japanese. What, and that's what your kids feel like when you're speaking a few and learning a few Japanese words. If you throw them out in class like that or other languages that you know that your kids might speak at home yeah. as a mother tongue, those that one word just reaches out and makes a little connection with those students that you wouldn't have before. It'll open yeah. up a whole 
range of new opportunities with the kids, right? right. And I do that all the time because our school has a lot of home home mother tongues, uh, mm -hmm. home languages. Yeah. And it's important. Some of them don't even speak English when they come to us. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to hear you say that. And I hope on your journey, I hope that you reach out and learn more Japanese. It will open up everything outside of school more for you, depending on how long you end up living there and teaching there mm -hmm. before you maybe move on to your next one. Uh, I, I miss being in a, in immersed in a, in a culture where I've learned the language or tried to learn the language. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting in itself. But here's my second question. Remember, I told you I have two questions for you. Any cop stories so far? I knew that was coming. I did. And I have none. I have none. Um, <sighs> You're going to you know, have to come back then on I, the show. You're going to come back after you have one. I will. <laughs> well, and, and you know, it's, it's actually funny because I was thinking about this recently about the, just police in general. And I don't, you don't really see them very often, at least where I am. Um, there's a police box right by the, the train station where, where there's always two police officers in there. But I think, I think in a week, if I were to just think I'd, Probably that's the only time I ever see police officers here. Do you have any stories dealing with just the bureaucracy? Yeah, the, the bureaucracy here in Japan is um, uh, quite intense. Uh, th there are a lot of things you need to do uh, <laughs> for everything. Um, and so luckily, the school is very helpful with that. And if, if we have questions or concerns or just don't know what to do, uh, we just reach out to the HR department and they help us. I'm trying to think of something that would be an example. Okay, so so the bank would be one, right? So so went to the bank when we got here and we we I, I set up my account, right? The and English speaking folks and and the account is in English, like it, that's wonderful. But we go to the bank. I have to fill out all the paperwork. And then I, I asked them about like setting up a credit card or something. And, and they said, oh, yes, you can do that after you get your bank account. I said, oh, okay. So like tomorrow? And they said, no, the bank account will take you maybe like a week or two to get your bank account number. I was like, okay. So I, I can do that and then I can get the credit card. And then I can set up like auto pay for utilities and things like that. And they're like, yes, but here's the form you have to fill out for the auto pay where you list all of your account numbers and then that all gets set up. So I was like, okay, fine. So I did all that. I get the online banking. I finally get everything set up and then I have to pay for my kids school. Uh, and the way that they do it here, like I, maybe there are checks. I don't know that because I don't have a checkbook. Um, everything is like bank transfer. So the school, my kid's school gave me the, the account information. I went online and I went to go to bill pay, the equivalent of bill pay. And I went to go type it in. And it said, you don't have an authorized payee. You need to uh, generate a token, uh, which will mail to you. And once you receive that, you can enter the token here. And then you'll be able to enter the bank account information. So I was like, okay. So I hit the button thinking it was like a paper token one-time thing but then i called and i said hey i'm doing this authenticate my account any way we can get around this like two to three or five day mailing of this token and they said no there's no way you have to wait for it to come in the mail 
I thought maybe they'd fax it to you. <laughs> well, well, that could have been an option maybe because fax machines here are still still pretty prevalent. Oh, um, I know. I love that. But, but so the funniest thing was I finally get this token and I'm like, what? all right, I'll wait for it. Fine. And I get it. And I'm expecting this paper thing. It's a little uh, like like calculator type size thing with like actual buttons and it generates a one-time passcode. So I thought every time I needed to do this, I had to wait five days in the mail, but they sent me this. And so now whenever I have to add somebody, I just pull that out and use it. So I feel like a, like a spy almost like I'm in some novel or something. So it's kind of cool, but like to get to that point. In in Switzerland, we had the right. same thing with our Swiss bank account. Right. I didn't have like the James Bond account, but I had this little calculator <laughs> that I had to put my credit card into from the bank yeah. and it would generate a one-time passcode. And I'm thinking, you know, the phone could probably do something like this, yeah. right? But it was some kind of a secure method, but it, it yeah. looked like it was made in 1950, like a calculator that maybe adds and multiplies, right. divides and subtracts. That was it. But it worked, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> you had the same thing in Japan. Okay. Same I thing. like it. And like everything is like that, like security. Everything is like three layers. It's just, it's very. You uh, just have to find the right person to talk to at school that has been down that avenue of that yeah. specific journey, right? And right. every everything you do has a different kind of process. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that the other teachers there have gone through something because it's very similar at other schools too right there's a big process for this Mm -hmm. and i won't even begin to tell you the stories about trying to to work at a bank here it's it's absolutely it's absolutely asinine like stupid crazy right i won't even get into that go ahead kent now do you have a stamp with your name on it that you use for documents i do yes um and it was only because uh, we bought a car and um, okay. in order to buy a car, you need uh, to have the, the stamp with my name on it. Yeah. And that was an ordeal as well, because you order the stamp and you get your insignia. Um, and then you have to take it to the city office to get it certified. And then they give you a certification card, like an ID card for it. And then a piece of paper that certifies you can use it. And so that's how I could buy the car. But if I needed to use it again... I have to go back to the city office and get like a authenticity certificate or something that I can then show somebody to then say it's real. Uh, but I don't know if I need it again anytime soon, uh, unless I want to buy a house, which we're not planning on doing. So, uh, yes, but I do have a stamp. Jeff, what are you looking forward to? We, as we wind down, uh, hopefully soon you're done with report cards, but in Japan, your family, your personal life, your teaching life, what? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the second semester here because uh, I've gotten to know these students the first half of the year. And so seeing them perform, uh, we've got two jazz, a jazz festival and a jazz concert coming up in a couple of weeks, which are really exciting and really showcase some of the work they've been, they've been working on, uh, the music they've been, they've been practicing. Um, you know, I think I'm looking forward to the weather to be a little warmer here in Japan too. It's not super cold compared to uh, the Northeast uh, Philadelphia weather. We haven't seen any snow yet. We might not see any, but a little warmer weather and being able to explore a bit more. And, um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, like I said, I'm new to the school and trying to figure out like all the processes and the people and the things and 
things that happen. And uh, I feel like I know that more now, having been here for half a year. And so I'm kind of looking forward to the next part of the year where now I know those things and I can sort of take things to the next next level. And I will say too, on a on a different note, you know, we're we're planning on going back home to visit uh, right after school gets out in June. Spend some time back home with family and friends. And before we left, I uh, had a band that played Cuban music, which is where the travel to Cuba came in to play. Um, and the band's still performing. And uh, if if everything goes according to plan, I'll have at least one or two performances with them while we're home. And so it'll be a nice reunion to to play some music with with some uh, some friends uh, that we've really become a family over the past twelve years. So I, I miss them, and certainly want to. What's the name uh, of the band? Uh, it's called Conjunto Philadelphia, um, and uh, yeah, it's music from Cuba from the nineteen thirties, forties, and fifties, sort of like the Buena Vista Social Club. And uh, and so yeah, there there there's there's a website and there are videos on YouTube and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, so that's we can something put a link. forward to. That'd be great. Yeah, I'm sure they would love yep. it. Have you ever heard of Orishas before? I have. Yeah, I love Orishas. They've got like three or four albums out, and they're not mm-hmm. they're not in Cuba. They're out of Cuba. I mm-hmm. think they're in in uh, Europe. Yeah, but uh, I love. I love connections with music, no matter what. Please do us a favor also at some point, if you have your first concert over there mm-hmm. with your students and your first jazz concert, if you get a recording of it or a link to something that we could share on this podcast, we would definitely mm-hmm. do that or on our website because we do have our website up now and we would love to share some of that. It's your first year teaching over at that school. So it'd be sort of exciting and and I can't wait for you to go home and share all of this with your family too, right? Yeah. It's it's exciting to say, give them a glimpse into what you have stepped into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, both you and your wife going back home and saying, here's what it's like to be in Japan as a family, our teaching and life overseas and learning J- Japanese, et cetera. I, I can't yeah. wait for that for you. Will Jeff, will you come back and keep us updated? I feel like you are sort of, I feel like you're special to the ITP and we would like to check in with you every once in a while. What do you think? Thank you. Yeah. I'd be happy to to come back. I, you know, I, I will, this is an honor to to be on here guys, because I, like I said, I think I've, I've listened to every episode and you've sort of been, been here with me along the journey of going from thinking about international teaching to applying to now being here. And, um, our little boys growing up, Kent. He grows up so fast. We, I'm so I can't proud. wait to talk to Matt and we can all celebrate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, well, man. And, and I will say that, at Greg, I, I have to just give give a plug to your book. because Oh, please do. www.amazon.com, <laughs> wherever you buy your finer books. Yeah, it wouldn't be a, an episode without that, right? Um, I, did, I did get a copy of it. Uh, on I Kindle. sold one. <laughs> <laughs> That's three. That's three now. Your mom bought two, and now Jeff. <laughs> I've, honestly, though, since I've already gone through the the job search, I skipped the first part, and I've just been reading your stories in the back. But <laughs> all right, all right, there we go. Skip to the end. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll read the beginning as well. But uh, the story you are great, secured so. a job, so yeah. now you can write your own yeah. book, right? That's right. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And we look forward to hearing about your journey as you go. It's been so exciting. 
And uh, any any final thoughts you want to share with our our listeners before we we wrap up for today? This international teaching thing. If this, if anyone's listening who is not a teacher right now um, in international schools, it is something that you can do, uh, and something that is certainly uh, a big jump, and you certainly need to put some time in to the process. Uh, but it is uh, it is well worth the hours and hours of job searching and uh, you know all the paperwork and making sure you have your teaching certificate up to date and writing cover letter after cover letter and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's, it's worth it because, because you, you'll end up uh, on a really great adventure. And, and honestly, some days are uh, not so great, right? And, the, and you're exhausted and just need, need a break from, from, from being always on in the, in the new place. But uh, most of the time it's just, it's really magical and um, really a, an opportunity that I wish more people would have to really see the world, you know, and I'm only on school one. I know you guys have been on, been in many places, but um, I just encourage folks to give it a shot. We would like to thank our very special guest, Jeff Torshan from the American School in Japan. Thank you all for joining us on the International Teacher Podcast. See you next time. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thank you.